drive is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land, and we pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. I'm Georgie Gardner and welcome to Drive, a future women podcast about women on their way. This episode is brought to you by Uber Eats, where safety is a top priority. From ongoing delivery partner education programs to contactless delivery, safety never stops. Each week, I speak to accomplished and interesting women about their enviable careers, as well as how they manage to make time and space for themselves. From work and life advice to travel and wellness tips, I find out what engages them and, where possible, pass on their shortcuts. When it comes to the handling of the coronavirus pandemic, chances are you will have come across the many news stories or commentary or maybe social media posts about female leaders, specifically Jacinda Ardern and Angela Merkel. Now, they've been widely praised for demonstrating empathy, care and collaboration while leading with strength and conviction. And interestingly, a recent Harvard Business Review article cited a study And that study found that countries with women in leadership have suffered six times fewer confirmed deaths from COVID-19 than countries with governments led by men. It's a really interesting statistic. So what does it tell us about female leadership, particularly in times of crisis, in times of upheaval, which of course is what we're all experiencing at the moment? My guest today is a leader at one of the world's most innovative and iconic companies. And during this pandemic, their whole way of doing business was at some points changing daily. She's head of delivery partner at Uber Eats across Australia and New Zealand, and I'm sure has some very valuable advice on career, leadership, and why it's crucial to stay true to oneself. Kelly Clenton, welcome to Drive. Thank you, Georgie. You have been at Uber Eats for a little over a year as the head of delivery partner across Australia and New Zealand. That sounds like a very big job. What does the day look like for you? So in this role, um, myself and my team are responsible for the customer strategy and operations for delivery partners across Australia and New Zealand. That's about 60,000 men and women out there delivering food from restaurants to their customers. So in this role, we take care of everything from attracting new delivery partners to the platform, making sure we have enough supply in our cities to make those deliveries, We take new features to market to improve the delivery partner experience and we leverage our tech at scale to manage the thousands of interactions that are happening every day on the platform. So it's a very broad role. What's your preferred part of it? That's such an interesting question. Um, I was actually drawn to the role by the breadth of the scope. So every day is different. Every day is different. There are certainly challenges that uh, you wouldn't anticipate in the normal course of the day that we come across, especially this year, I think is a great example of how a business that operates as a technology platform, but also very much part of the the physical world can throw up issues you've never come across before and um, certainly an intellectually stimulating role. And on that, what are your thoughts? I mean, will, will life ever return to normal, do you think? I'm optimistic that it will. 
obviously there's still some way to go. And I think hearing the ABS talk about the fact that seven out of 10 Australian businesses have seen a downturn throughout this period goes to show that we can't become complacent yet. We can't really take our eye off the ball in terms of managing the return to normal through public health and things that we do in business. But I am optimistic that we will get there. I think uh, Australians are a resilient bunch and we've got, you know, the metal to stick it out until things are back to normal. I imagine the hardest part or one of the hardest parts for someone in a position like yours is having to remain nimble. There's no textbook. There's no guide. It's unprecedented. Absolutely. You really don't know what's going to be thrown up. At one stage, it was the situation was changing daily. Yes, it was indeed. And I think in that sort of context, the most important thing is staying as connected as possible to what's happening. We had a fantastic cross-functional leadership team at Uber meeting every day and sometimes multiple times a day to take decisions as to how to respond to those changes and those new pieces of information as they were becoming available. And it's leveraging the diversity of the group and allowing every person in that leadership group to bring their their perspective to bear and, and sort of taking decisions that everyone feels is the right thing to do. Much of your career has been in the area of product management and development, and you've held very senior positions at companies, including Expedia and PayPal. What product have you launched which you're most proud of? Oh, that's such a juicy question. You know, the experiences that I've enjoyed the most have been when there has been a pretty urgent need to get something big done. I'm thinking about a project that I that I ran at PayPal, which was actually in response to a regulatory change. So not the sexiest of topics, but we needed to overhaul a part of the product portfolio in very short time, everything from the pricing model and customer proposition. And there's something about the energy that um, that you can create when you have the mandate and you have the team and there's an urgency and a yeah, an energy that's quite exciting and electric. And it's um, a really enjoyable experience to be able to bring a team together scope a solution, solving all of those really complex problems and ultimately seeing the thing done. So you'd thrive in a really dynamic environment? I think so, yeah. I need the, the sort of the frisson of excitement. Um, it's the, the skin in the game of knowing that the change that you drive is going to impact how your customer operates in the world in some way. And that's really what drew me to product management in the first place. In every company, product management is a different, has a different definition, but ultimately it's all about bringing the company's strategy to life. And you're really at the coalface of transitioning or, or rather translating that strategy into the customer experience. And it's that knowledge that, you know, the thing that you're building is going to end up in a customer's hands that is really exciting. Tell us about how you've got to this role. Was this something you coveted a while back or has it been not quite as linear as that. Have you fallen into it? Back in the early days of my career, I was very excited to get into product management. It was an emerging discipline. It sort of drew on analytical and and creative skills. And it was a very exciting discipline to be in. What I've seen throughout working in different organisations is that it's very important to understand the broader context of the organisation. And you can't just be focused on rolling out features. A product leadership role can't be about just pushing out features. You really have to understand the broader business context. How does the thing that you're creating connect to and support the strategy? And how do you use that to achieve the business's broader goals? So that perspective has been developing for a while. And when I was returning to Australia, I lived in the UK for nine years. I found myself, you know, looking for a new role when I returned, sort of early 2019. And I 
came across the role at Uber in this customer strategy and operations role. And coming to the comment I made earlier, it was really the breadth of experience or rather of responsibility that appealed to me. And uh, I'd say that my experience is that I have that in spades. No two days are the same. And, and that's what makes this a really enjoyable role to be in. That and the fact that I have a fantastic team who are energised and, uh, you know, motivated to get things done. So what you're saying is, and this is an important point, I think, for women who are further down the ladder, who are looking to women like you and wanting to learn. Mm. What you're suggesting is be sure that you have a very holistic understanding of the organisation. Yeah. And I think, yeah, and also of yourself, when you think about leadership and getting into more senior positions and what is the path that one might follow to get there. I think in addition to understanding the, you know, the domain and the sector that you want to work in, it's critically important that women understand what their personal North Star is. And so when you're out there looking for opportunities, you can relate, what is it that I'm looking for in terms of my growth and my development? How is that going to be furthered by this career experience? That's an equally important perspective to what do I bring to this? Because Mm. if you're not learning, if you're not inspired, if you can't draw on that sort of intrinsic energy and motivation in the work that you do day to day, ultimately, it's very difficult to be successful. And be open to exploration. I think that's really important as well. You know, there's no one perfect or linear path Mm. and being prepared to experiment, to take risk occasionally and to try things out is really important. Can you give an example of where you feel you've taken a risk, calculated or otherwise? When I moved to the UK 10 years ago, I was really hungry to have an international experience. I'd grown up in Australia, spent the first phase of my working life in Sydney, had a fantastic time doing that, but I was really hungry to see the world and to work in the world. And um, so I took the move to, you know, head to the UK without a role, but I was determined to make it work. And I had this fear before I left that I would be going to become an even smaller fish in a much, much, much larger pond and that I'd potentially even have to take a step backwards in my career. Um, But what I found when I went to the UK is that I actually had access to far more work opportunities, you know, in many more, you know, sectors than I'd been exposed to here in Australia. So it turned out to be a great move. You know, the thing that I feared most actually turned out to be the furthest from the truth. And worked to your advantage because in that bigger pond, there were more opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. It's useful to be mindful of what the risks are, but if you've got a desire to go and do something, you should just go and do it. Yeah. Greatest risk is not taking a risk. Absolutely. Uber's a fascinating business, isn't it? Um, Yes. To to give our listeners a reminder, of course, it started with a simple but revolutionary idea that you could request a ride from your phone. And of course, it's since morphed into moving not just people and goods around in vehicles, but also via bikes. Yes. Even in the air. Yes. Um, Tell us a little bit more about what it's like working for Uber. Uber is, an, is a really fantastic place to work. I am very privileged to work with a team of incredibly bright people at all levels of seniority and experience. The environment is incredibly dynamic and fast-paced. And I think importantly for people who might be considering joining a company like Uber, the levels of autonomy that I see that the team has at all levels of seniority is, is really incredible. We have grads joining us straight out of uni who are running complex change programs and projects that that really drive new capabilities and and make meaningful contributions to our business. You know, and I think that's quite a different experience to joining a much more traditional industry or sector, especially early in your career. So uh, so it's a lot of fun, very fast paced, very fast moving. And 
you know, very few people have worked in a company like Uber because it is truly innovative. And so there is that scope to create, to invent, to think about problems for the first time. It is really intellectually stimulating because there's no, there are rarely predefined answers. What there are, are you know, very deep and rigorous questions. Mm. And I think that is a great learning experience for, you know, anyone at any stage of their career. How proud are you of working for a disruptor business? And how do you feel when there are occasions that isn't always garnering praise? Yes. It does have its detractors. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember having a conversation uh, with the team when I was being hired at Uber and I said, Uber is an iconic company in the history of the internet. This company has literally changed the world. And that was, you know, that is something that I that I wanted to be a part of and I, you know, remain excited to be a part of. Yes, you know, Uber is at the vanguard in many areas and there are, I suppose, aspects of the business that external stakeholders would like to see us change. What I do know is that the team that I work with and, you know, the executive team at, at Uber are 100% motivated to innovating in a way that that is good for the world. And I believe that with my hand on my heart. It's something that's really important to me and it's something that I see lived every day. What's your leadership style? What do you think characterises a good leader? My style personally is I try to be very people-centric. I try to start with relationships. I think it's important to understand who your people are, what motivates them, you know, what's exciting for them and to use that sort of platform of trust to help them develop and grow. Have you had mentors along the way who have given you that sort of advice? Yeah, absolutely. I've been fortunate to have, you know, a series of mentors and friends throughout my career to have a a really meaningful mentoring relationship. There has to be a genuine connection coming back to trust. You know, if you don't have the trust, it's very difficult to open up and talk about your vulnerabilities. But I've been fortunate to have mentors in the form of many fantastic managers. And, you know, to the point of this being the Future Women podcast, I've had some really great female line managers and leaders who I have learned from, not just in terms of the business, but identifying and developing your leadership personality and presence. So yes, I have been fortunate to have those people in my life and in my career. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this message from our partner, Uber Eats. Uber Eats is the perfect companion for Aussies on the go. They're for you at home, at work or on holidays. Uber Eats has more than 20,000 restaurants offering fresh and delicious meals at the click of a button. Thanks to Uber Rewards, more than a million Australians are already earning loyalty points on every order on Uber Eats. Download Uber Eats from the App Store and celebrate local restaurants today or explore the new grocery option to get your essentials without visiting the supermarket. Uber Eats, connecting what matters. Future Women is dedicated to helping women connect, learn and lead. There's a price point to suit most budgets or talk to your company about a corporate training membership to advance your professional development. Just head to futurewomen.com. Welcome back to Drive, where my guest today is Kelly Clinton. How have you got through personally this period in a position of leadership? No one could have predicted the scale of this pandemic, um, but what have you learnt from it? So lots of dimensions to think about there. From a personal perspective, the importance of maintaining connection with the people that you are working with um, has been absolutely critical. Um, 
obviously. Which is tricky when we're working remotely, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah, there was a moment early in, um, early in the work from home period in which a few of us were having the same realisation that we were just exhausted. We were just so tired. And we had the epiphany that was because we were spending 10 hours a day on Zoom calls, we weren't moving. You know, if you're in the office, you're at least getting up and moving around. And so we, we discussed it as a team and we said, hey, I think we need to take a bit more time during the day so that people can go for a walk, so that they can attend to, you know, the other things that they need to do in their life, given that their, you know, their personal life and their work life are now merged for, for better or worse. So I think being honest with others, you know, my team and my peers about the fact that it was difficult and making a few small changes to give us all a bit more breathing room so that we could continue to be effective was very useful and very much needed. But then sort of taking a step back and looking at what we've managed to do within that time, the resilience of the team has been incredible to see. We were operationalising changes in response to announcements made by the government as the situation was unfolding, you know, with a very rapid cycle time. And it was necessary for us to do that, obviously, for our business, but also to support our customers. You are in such a cutting edge space where things do move so quickly. How does a business like Uber and Uber Eats stay ahead of the curve, stay ahead of the technology, the rivals, the next disruptor? So obviously, you know, we have a fantastic team of, you know, very experienced people in this business who are um, focused on driving growth on a daily basis. And we are very much in tune with what's happening, you know, both with our competitors in the tech sector more broadly, but also I think most importantly on understanding what it takes for us to win. So of course, you know, we keep our ear very, very close to the ground. You know, we're constantly talking about dynamics in the market and um, the interesting moves that, that competitors are making. But I think most importantly, we have a very well-defined and clear strategy mm. and, you know, a team that's committed to executing against that. And I think that what is most important is knowing how your own game plan is going to play out and, and following that through. I imagine a key concern for your customers, as well as the drivers and the restaurants you partner with, is safety. How are you managing this during this time? Absolutely. Um, safety is an evergreen, you know, number one priority for Uber as an organisation. Um, in response to COVID, we've made a number of changes to support our partners and their customers throughout the crisis. So a few examples are early in the um, the lockdown period, you know, we were sharing a lot of best practices in terms of, say, hygiene and social distancing. We implemented contactless deliveries very early on in the lockdown, so enabling delivery partners to leave a delivery at the door so that people did not have to have a direct interaction in the way that they'd been doing, you know, just a, maybe the week prior. And we've also, I suppose, on the hygiene front, we've been making sanitizers available to our delivery partners, so allowing them to claim a reimbursement for product that they've sourced themselves. And most recently, we've partnered with Racket Bankiza um, mm. to distribute Dettol products, um, so hand sanitizers and uh, sanitizing wipes, so that our partners can ensure, obviously, that their hands are clean, that their bags are clean, and ultimately that we're making the touch points throughout the delivery cycle safe as possible. Are there any particular women, you know, in any career who you look to or perhaps you follow on social media who intrigue you? Yes, absolutely. So uh, Jacinda Arden, I think, is such a great example of strong leadership and the exemplary way that she's led New Zealand through the COVID crisis has just been so inspiring. She's humble, she's authentic. My sense from seeing her, you know, speak to the people of New Zealand is she creates this impression and very much the feeling that they're all in it together. 
and she has she has a plan and she is quite driven to pursue that plan in, in driving for the outcome that New Zealand needed through the crisis. So I think she's a fantastic example. Um, she's on Instagram baking Women's Weekly birthday cakes for her young daughter. So, um, you know, and she's having fun. And I think that's so important too. I can't think of a better example, actually. And I was just thinking back then to that, the massacre the year before last. Yes. And what's become now an iconic photo of her with the headscarf on hugging. Yes. You can't do that unless you're authentic. Absolutely not. You cannot fake that. No. People see straight through it, don't they? I think so, yes. Yeah, she is. She's, she is remarkable. Let's have a bit of fun now and lighten the load and talk a bit about some recommendations because we've been yes. having fun with this. When these travel restrictions do ease, <laughs> what destination's top of, of Kelly's list? Yes. So I can speak to this one very uh, excitedly because yesterday I made a booking to visit the Northern Territory. Oh, good for you. And we are going to uh, Kakadu National Park. <sighs> That's the first cab off the rank. So for domestic travel, when the borders are open and we're free to travel as we were prior to COVID, I've been desperate to visit Patagonia. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I really you don't hear that very often. I really love quite grand landscapes and I live for a long time in London. I spent a lot of my time traveling, you know, through Europe and visiting beautiful, picturesque, historic cities. Um, but now I'm hungry for grandeur, beauty, empty landscapes. And I believe Patagonia has it in spades. Absolutely. Yeah. You touch on London. Um, for those wanting to get over there, where should we be eating? Where should we be staying, shopping? What are your tips on London? One of my favourite restaurants in London is called Brat. Brat is an old English word for turbot, um, the, the flatfish. Uh-huh. Uh, and at Brat, they grill it on coals in the Basque style and it's out of this world. Truly, truly spectacular. Um, so that's Brat. A beautiful hotel um, to stay at in the East End is the... Um, it's in Bethnal Green and it's called the Town Hall Hotel and it is an Edwardian building that was the town hall for that area of the city and it's just incredibly opulent, you know, the design, the architecture, the um, just the atmosphere of the place is really unique. Mm. And, you know, shopping in this area, in and around sort of Shoreditch and Spitalfields, the architecture is fantastic. It's a great area for strolling and there are a lot of unique uh, sort of boutique shops where you can find one-offs and mm. have fantastic third-wave coffee and great restaurants. And so I really love hanging out um, in East London. Do you miss it? It's such a vibrant city, isn't it? It's such a fantastic city, truly, you know, international and so diverse. And the experience that I had there was really wonderful for those for those reasons. But I got to a point in my life where I realised that I was travelling all the time, travelling outside of London, going to see Europe and chasing the sun. Uh, and I had the epiphany that it was probably possible to have an interesting work life as well as, you know, a, 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 bit lifestyle. More, a bit more of a settled lifestyle. And so after much debate with my husband, who is Spanish, uh, we decided to come back to Sydney. And so now I'm enjoying, you know, living in the eastern suburbs, having access to the beach. Just this morning I was walking the Bondi to Bronte and it's a stunning, you know, 17 degree blue sky winter day in Sydney. And that's also something that can't be beaten. It's hard to beat. It is. Tell me how the Spaniard is enjoying life in Australia. He's absolutely converted. Um, cannot believe it took us quite so long to get down here. But yes, you know, we, we really do have the best of all the worlds here. And certainly in this past six months, I've felt incredibly fortunate to be in Sydney. 
You've got me thinking about fish, but now you've got me thinking about paellas. I'm yes. just wondering, does he does he put his um, cooking skills to the test in your home? We do. We do have a, a very large paella, um, you know, for uh, for hosting parties. And occasionally we do indulge in a bit of nostalgia for, you know, for Spanish food and cooking. And we do love to cook. So, yeah, that's a nice thing to do when you're a long way from home. Have you sought out the best Spanish restaurants in Sydney? Do you know, we tend to cook and eat very simply at home most of the time. Mm. One of my favourite restaurants in London is um, is called Barrafina. The head chef is a woman, um, Neves Barrigan, and her cooking is in the Basque style. So it's a lot of very simple grilling and sort of simple seafood dishes. So we cook a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I go out for, for other things. We like to cook Spanish at home. Mm-hmm. And is there a, a never failed dish that you tend to Yes. Call on. Yes. Um, so long time ago, I lived in Surrey Hills um, for quite a while and Bodega, uh, which is you yeah. know, sort of Argentinian and uh, sort of Spanish inspired, uh, was around the corner. And so I used to love going to Bodega. And I remember coming across an article that had, you know, a couple of their recipes. And one of the recipes was for green gazpacho with miso cured ocean trout. Uh, and I sort of, you know, eagerly snipped that and put it into my, you know, in, into all of my cooking books. And that's something that I love to make. So you already loved Spanish food before you met your husband. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was primed. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine you've had your fair share of Uber Eats deliveries. What is your go-to cuisine and dish when you decide you don't feel like cooking? Absolutely. Um, so I do have a firm favourite uh, and it's the char rotisserie on Bondi Road. So very simple, you know, charcoal chicken. Um, it's really clean, really healthy, smells delicious. You know, when I go up and down Bondi Road, the smell of it sort of wafts into my nostrils and I'm there's almost a trigger in my yeah. brain that sends my hand to my phone to place an order. <laughs> so that's a great one. <laughs> what about books? Do you gravitate towards fiction, non-fiction? Is there a book you've read recently that's had a lasting impression? Yes. So I do read a lot of fiction um, and there was quite a long time in my life where I felt guilty about reading fiction. And then I read, an, I read a study which said that actually readers of literary fiction um, have high levels of empathy. And the thinking is that through exposing yourself to context that you wouldn't otherwise encounter in the real world, you, you learn to become a more empathetic human. So now I don't apologise for reading fiction, but um, I read a great book over the summer, which is called Girl, Woman, Other. And it's a series of vignettes that are connected in ways that isn't quite clear or, you know, they're sort of tangentially connected as you read through the the 12 vignettes. But the final sort of short story brings it all together in this really powerful sort of heart-stopping way. And it was the first book in ages that I really didn't want to put down. You know, I felt upset that it. I got to the last page and I was sort of looking to see if there were any more pages that had magically cropped up, but um, sadly there wasn't. So that was a great read. Isn't it wonderful when a book has that effect on you? It really is. You just don't want it to finish. Yes. Yeah. And interestingly, during COVID, apparently a lot of people have been gravitating towards fiction because they've just needed escapism, which you can completely understand. Yep. You know, the monotony of being at home every day. Um, Yeah, if you can get a little slice of someone else's life while sitting in your sofa, that's great. Why not? What podcasts are you loving right now? Do you have time to listen to podcasts? This is probably a bad thing to admit, but um, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I try to read. Um, I find that my mind wanders unless my eyes 
and or my hands are engaged. But one podcast that my husband often shares with me is Sam Harris, uh, Making Sense. So all about meditation, mindfulness, sort of moral philosophy. He often sends those over to me when he thinks that there's something particularly interesting. Uh, <laughs> it's a subtle hint. <laughs> it's a subtle hint, yeah. <laughs> I think you could do with listening to this one. So that's, that's probably the only one that I could uh, name check. All right. We'll have to get some other possible podcasts to you. Yes. Just finally, Kelly, when are you at your happiest, do you think? My husband and I are into sailing. And when I say sailing, I mean cruising around, not necessarily racing. But I do really love the sport of sailing and sailing hard. So I'm probably at my happiest when, you know, you've had a good wind in the afternoon, had a swim in the water, and, you know, you're at anchor in a beautiful bay, preparing to sleep on the boat at night. My happiest place is, yeah, waking up surrounded by water um, in a beautiful place. Kelly Clinton, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me on Drive. Thank you very much, Georgie. Thank you for listening. Drive is a future women podcast made in partnership with Uber Eats and it's produced by Fancy Films. Join me again on Wednesday for another episode of Drive. And of course, make sure you're subscribed so that you do not miss a single episode. See you soon.